Welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration dash review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So without further ado, let's start the review. Only three cases this week, as the circuits ease in to the holiday season. Keep a lookout for some special episode interviews in the podcast feed over the coming weeks. And again, don't forget to reach out to me at kgreg at kktplaw.com for your thoughts on paying a nominal fee for episode transcripts, or if you'd like a CLE certificate. Now, on to the cases. First is Sanchez Rosales et al. v. Barr, published by the Ninth Circuit on November 18th, 2020. This is the first of two wins for non-citizens out of the Ninth this week, and it's about in absentia motions to reopen. Mr. Sanchez Rosales and Ms. Hernandez Sanchez, who I'll refer to as the petitioners, entered the United States unlawfully from Mexico in 2000. They have U.S. citizen children with severe disabilities, and many years ago, the petitioners made a big mistake. See, instead of going to an immigration attorney for advice, they went to and paid what we in the immigration community call a notario, non-attorneys who usually are of the same ethnicity as the non-citizen. This notario, named Carlos Lewis, promised the petitioners green cards, and then filed asylum applications for them with USCIS without their knowledge. While the Ninth Circuit doesn't come out and say it, those in the business may recognize the scheme. Mr. Lewis probably anticipated that the asylum applications would be denied by USCIS, which would then put the petitioners in removal proceedings before an immigration judge, where, because they had been in the U.S. for 10 years and had children with severe disabilities, the petitioners could then apply for non-LPR cancellation of removal and potentially get green cards. It's a dangerous and unlawful scheme, which notarios have no trouble playing. The asylum applications were denied, and notices were sent out for a March 2014 immigration court hearing. For reasons unexplained, Mr. Lewis the notario then advised the petitioners not to show up for their hearing, and the petitioners listened to that illegal advice. 
They were therefore ordered removed in absentia in 2014. The case made its way up to the BIA, and the petitioners filed a motion to reopen, blaming the notario for their failure to appear. And they argued, even though the notario is not an attorney, that the advice constituted ineffective assistance of counsel, such that their case should be reopened and remanded. Pertinently, the BIA denied the motion for petitioners' failure to establish that even assuming ineffective assistance of counsel, they suffered prejudice as a result. The Ninth Circuit vacated and remanded. The Ninth Circuit did so because, based on binding precedent in the Ninth Circuit, non-citizens do not need to establish prejudice to succeed on a motion to reopen an in absentia order of removal based on ineffective assistance of counsel. This rule is based not only on Ninth Circuit precedent, but also on the BIA's own decisions in matter of Lazada and matter of Rivera-Claros. Quote, when ineffective assistance leads to an in absentia removal, we have followed the BIA's usual practice of not requiring a showing of prejudice. End quote. So, for all you non Ninth Circuit practitioners, there's your foot in the door. The case will therefore be remanded to the BIA, and hopefully for petitioners, sent back to the IJ so they can apply for relief from removal. Congrats to Mitzi Cardenas for petitioners from Los Angeles Immigration Attorneys. Here's some more good stuff. Heads up, this is likely the only context in the Ninth Circuit, and probably any other circuit, in which a non-citizen bringing a motion based on ineffective assistance of counsel does not need to establish prejudice to succeed. Next, and according to the Ninth Circuit, this is now at least the second time that Natario Carlos Lewis has been the subject of a Ninth Circuit decision remanding proceedings due to his fraud. Why he hasn't yet been stopped is perplexing to some podcasters. Finally, recent Ninth Circuit appointee Judge Van Dyke concurred in judgment because he believed the court bound by its prior precedent, but wrote that the precedent is, quote, silly that the Ninth Circuit's immigration jurisprudence is, quote, a hot mess, and even quoted Meatloaf to make his point, the singer, not the food. Judge Van Dyke would apparently do anything for love or to uphold the BIA, but he won't do that. And that is Sanchez Rosales et al. v. Barr. Next is Castillo v. Barr, published by the Ninth Circuit on November 18th, 2020. This is a case about protection under the Convention Against Torture, and while it's a good legal result, it's a pretty rough one factually. Mr. Castillo is from El Salvador and snuck into the United States at the age of 12. A couple of years later, as a teenager, he murdered a 12-year-old girl in an MS-13 gang-related shooting and was convicted of murder. In prison, he switched allegiances to the Miraz Unida gang, and eventually left that gang too. In response, both gangs put out a hit for him. He has since cooperated with law enforcement about the gangs. After many years in prison, he was paroled, and DHS sought to remove him back to El Salvador. Now his murder conviction, as a particularly serious crime, bars him from everything under immigration law except cat deferral. As the basis for that, Mr. Castillo claimed that he'd be killed in El Salvador due to his prior gang affiliations, the outstanding hit against him, and his gang tattoos. 
MS-13 has a lot of power in El Salvador, and the pending hit on him extends to that country. Mr. Castillo also claimed to fear the Salvadoran police for related reasons. He proffered an expert to testify to all of this, but the immigration judge implied that the expert was not credible and discounted the expert's testimony. The Ninth Circuit ultimately remanded that finding, and on remand, the IJ and then the BIA again denied cat deferral. And the Ninth Circuit reversed and remanded again. The Ninth Circuit held, in essence, that the IJ and the BIA failed to follow the Ninth Circuit's instructions on remand, improperly discounted the expert's testimony, and failed to consider the record as a whole. In so holding, the Ninth Circuit seems to have created a bit of an expert testimony landmine for IJs and the BIA. Quote, If the board rejects expert testimony, it must state in the record why the testimony was insufficient to establish the probability of torture. Improperly rejected expert testimony is a legal error and thus per se reversible. End quote. The Ninth Circuit also appears to have held that an IJ and the BIA will have a difficult time discounting expert testimony based on, quote, facts that have not been disputed, end quote. This is particularly so, and at least in the Ninth Circuit, because, quote, the underlying facts or data forming the basis of an expert's opinion in an immigration proceeding need not be admissible in evidence in order for the opinion or inference to be admitted, end quote. Indeed, according to the Ninth Circuit, an expert opinion in and of itself can suffice as the only evidence in support of a CAT claim. The case was therefore remanded again for proper consideration of the expert testimony. Congratulations to attorney Michael Kagan and Edgar Cervantes, a law student at the University of Nevada, on this win. Here's a bit more on expert testimony. First, the Ninth Circuit started out its analysis by stating, quote, The board's defiance of our previous decision in this matter and disagreement with our holding that the IJ did not find the expert credible was ill-advised. Our prior disposition was not an advisory opinion, but a conclusive decision not subject to disapproval or revision by another branch of the federal government, end quote. Woof. Never a good idea for any party to disregard a federal judge. And perhaps in this vein, the Ninth Circuit provided one final excellent quote that practitioners can use to avoid the unfavorable substantial evidence standard of review, normally applicable to review of factual findings in federal appellate court. Quote, where the board does not consider all the evidence before it, either by misstating the record or failing to mention highly probative or potentially dispositive evidence, its decision cannot stand. End quote. And that is Castillo v. Barr. Finally, we go to the First Circuit with Selly Court v. Barr, published on November 17, 2020. This is a short case about asylum and related relief from Haiti. Mr. Selly Court is from Haiti and affiliated with the Petite Dessaline political party. He claimed in immigration court that a jeep tried to run him over in Haiti in 2017, and that he was then shot at by individuals that he believed are members of the Tet Kale political party, the party of Haiti's current president. The IJ found Mr. Salicourt credible, but that he didn't establish that the incident happened because of Mr. Salicourt's political views. The BIA, and then the First Circuit in this case, affirmed. 
mainly because Mr. Selicourt could not actually identify his attackers. And for similar reasons, the First Circuit denied torture convention protection. Mr. Selicourt also brought a pattern and practice claim, which means that if he can establish that there is widespread persecution of similarly situated individuals in Haiti, he could qualify for asylum, regardless of what happened to him in the past. Here, however, the BIA in the First Circuit held that the evidence does not support a pattern and practice claim for Petit Desain members in Haiti. Again, short case. But here's an evidentiary standard that I don't hate. So decently friendly next this evidentiary standard in the First Circuit here. Quote, in the absence of a positive identification, Selicourt was required to furnish some credible evidence of the motivation underlying the threats, end quote. Mr. Selicourt did not meet that burden here because he didn't present anything. But that seems to be a pretty understanding evidentiary standard. And that is Selicourt v. Barr. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.